Let's turn in our Bibles to the fourth chapter of the letter, book, sermon of, to the Hebrews. Today I'm going to be reading from verse 14 down to verse 11 in chapter 5. But I'm not going to go through all this. I'm, trying, I'm going to try not to go. I'm only going to preach from the last verses of verse four, of 14, 15, and 16 from chapter 4. But because it's all in one section, we must read it in its context before we look at the, that little part. So Hebrews 4, 14 to, 6, or to 5, 10, or 5, 11, sorry. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace in time of help, or time of need. Find grace to help in time of need, excuse me. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men and things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself also is subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required as for the people so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son today, I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications and with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Amen. I remember, of course, always have to look back before we look forward. That we've just come... The, the writer, the, the pastor to these people who's writing, ha, has just been encouraging his people to take their confession, their commitment to Christ seriously. He's been warning them about the consequences of disobedience, the consequences of stepping back, of descending into apostasy, the slow slide backwards. It begins with the closing of the mouth. It begins with the closing of the eyes. It begins with the turning of the back. It begins with the going along with just what the world says. 
The writer warns his readers or those who are hearing him that if God punished those who received instruction through servants in time past, whether it be an angel, whether it be Moses, whether it be Joshua, those who disobeyed those servants came under terrible judgment. And therefore, how much more would severe will the judgment be upon those who are steadfast in their disobedience towards Christ? Those who don't follow him. And he has exhorted them powerfully, I think. Warned them powerfully that they are to continue on the faith. Not to, to get fade out and to get dimmer and dimmer. Not to become less and less interested. Not to behave like the non-believers. Not just to, to fit in. Not just to, to, to become camouflaged. Talk like an unbeliever. Look like an unbeliever. Act like an unbeliever. Think like an unbeliever. But rather he has been saying to them, Stand up for Christ. Remember who you are. Remember who you serve. Remember what was done for you. Because there is consequences. And he warns them. Do you remember? He warned them about the consequences of having an evil, unbelieving heart. Christians, we are able to have a heart that is unbelieving, of which the Bible calls evil. Now, you and I, we're all really lovely people. Some of us more than others. We would never consider ourselves evil. You know, on the scale of who's good and who's bad, we're come somewhere like we're up there. Hitler or Stalin or Mao, way down there. They're like they're way down there. Fifty-five million people, whatever they killed, eighty million uh, conservative. We're like that's evil. But us, us, well, we're, eh, we're somewhere you know, pretty good, pretty good. I don't bug people. People don't bug me. I do good things. And we wouldn't consider ourselves as being evil, but the Bible identifies a heart that resists God. A heart that says, I know what you want me to do, but therefore I resist it. That heart is the heart that the Bible identifies as being evil. A heart that chooses to go its own way and not God's way. Do you remember that Jesus Christ, when he was giving one of his little parables, and he talks about on the end day, and Many shall come before me and say, Lord, Lord, wanting to enter the kingdom. We know these people. And they list their credentials. Lord, did we not cast out many demons? Did we not heal the sick? Did we not do great things in your name? <laughs> Look what I've done. And Jesus says, depart from me. And that's strong language. Get thee hence. Go away. He rebukes them. Savagely. Imagine these people who, in their own eyes, by the world's consideration, regard themselves as good, godly Christian people. They come and they speak with a familiarity. Lord, Lord. It's not just, hey, you, Lord. It's familiarity. Lord, Lord. And yet Jesus harshly speaks to them. What is the reason? Why? Does he rebuke? For I did not know you, you workers of iniquity. Iniquity. We always think that's wickedness. Again, he's talking to the 
to the bad people who have murdered people and eaten people and done terrible things. They thought they were Christians. But the idea of iniquity is you who knew what the law required of you, you who knew what God wanted from you, but in your heart resisted. You knew what was right, but you said no. So we're not talking about big outward manifestations. They may be part of it, but really it's a heart thing. You who knew the law of God in your heart, but choose not to do it. The Christian man who rejects his wife and has an adulterous affair with someone else. Showing himself not to be a believer. They knew what God required of them, but they would not have anything to do with God's law. It would not be under the law of Christ. So the Bible identifies and warns us. The writer here, speaking to his readers, to those who are listening, he's warning us of the dangers of us developing an evil heart of unbelief. A heart that resists God. I know what you want, but you know what? I just am more happy doing it this. Because I know that if I do it my way, people will not reject me. I won't have to endure suffering. I won't be put out of the temple. I won't be subjugated to difficulties. I can just kind of get on with my life. And they put their own needs above the commands of Christ. And again, the writer warns, don't think you'll get away with it. Don't think that everything's, anything's hidden from the eyes of the Lord. He sees everything and knows everything. And then we get to where we are today. The reason. Really this portion of scripture goes from 14 to 10. And then 11 is kind of a little conjunction that connects the two to the next part. And it's a little bit upsy-downsy, inside-out to hear. I know those are words, but I can use them because I'm here and you're not. Normally... We would say in reformational preaching, since the Reformation, when Protestant ministers are ministers, preachers are giving a sermon, we normally expound the text and then give the application. That's how we do it. We, it's not a secret, you know. We we explain what the text, you know, what the text is, and then we say, and this is how it's useful to you in your life. This is what God requires of you. This is why we do what we do, you know. First part, high theology, God willing, and then the second part is, you know, practical theology. We see that time and time again in in the Bible. But the writer of the Hebrews, he does it the other way around. He gives you the application and then he gives you the, the exposition. He says, do this. This is what you must do. And then he goes on to explain why you have to do it. And this is one of the, these parts here. Verse 14, 15 and 16. Seeing then we have a great high priest. So he's appealing to their own histories. Remember, he's using his Bible, the Old Testament, as you and I would know. And he is... Helping his people to understand how God works in reality by using the images, the typology, the pictures of the Old Testament. And right now, he is saying that since we have a great high priest, and when I read that this week, I was like, wow, that's a good statement. We don't just have a high priest, we have a great high priest. Not just a good high priest or one of the great high priests. We have a great high priest, singular. There is nobody else. How many greats are there? 
you know, and I, I, you all know that I like fighting and I, I, I follow boxing and kickboxing and other bare knuckle boxing and lots of other violent sports that are terrible and you should not watch them. Uh, and you always hear men say, those are the greatest, the greatest fighter, the great, Muhammad Ali, the greatest fighter. Oh, whoever, this other guy, this other guy, you know, greatest fighter. And they're always telling every other few years you have the greatest fighter. Another one comes along, the greatest fighter, the GOAT in English. They call him the GOAT. Greatest of all time, G-O-A-T. And you never just have the greatest or he is the greatest. It's always, you know, he's, there's, he's, just one of the, he's one of the greatest. And you have this great pantheon of great fighters. But let me tell you that our high priest isn't just one among many good or great high priests. He is the greatest. He, there is no one like him. He stands unique. Indeed, all those other high priests were simply a, a, a parable, a, a typology, a representation, a shadow. You look at my shadow behind me, small and fat and furry, and you think, well, that's a representation. But it doesn't capture the full majesty of the man before you. Those high priests that held those positions in the temple, they were but shadows, representations, fallible pictures. They they gave an impression of him who was to come, but they themselves were not the one who was to come. The Bible tells us that you and I have a great high priest the greatest, the true and real one. There is no other like him. And we must also then consider if he is great. What does it mean to be a high priest? Well, in, in the Old Testament, you had one particular priest who was appointed every year by God in the Old Testament who was chosen to go into the innermost part of the temple and offer up sacrifices in the holiest of holy, for the sins of the nation. It was his sacred duty to go beyond the holy of or beyond the curtain, a veil of separation, into this, again, pictorial image place, representing the separation between God and man, and to offer up a particular sacrifice. You couldn't just be anybody. If you and I had tried to do it, they would have stoned us. Because we, you and I, who are Gentiles, some of you ladies, we wouldn't have been even allowed up onto the steps or past a certain wall. They had signs saying, any Gentile woman or dog past this point will be stoned. Oh. You had to be a very specific person from a very specific family line. You had to have specific calling your your time had to be up they had like um schedules schedules of service and so if your schedule wasn't on the list you wouldn't be called up this high priest was one who entered into this sacred place and again we understand that the whole the old testament is just a an image a shadow uh, an illustration of things that were to be made manifest and real through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our high priest. Well, the high priest went in to make sacrifice. He went into the presence of God 
And he spoke on behalf of the people to God. And on behalf of God to the people. He was the one who made peace. Secured peace between God and man. By his actions in his calling. Now the Bible tells us that we, and I love that, who are the we? We who believe in him. We who have received him. Not we who are just simply Jews. But we who have been made alive through faith in our Jesus Christ. We have that high priest. He represents us. You have someone who represents you before God. Now, we're not Roman Catholics. I'm not, certainly not. We, we, don't, we don't have in our religious samanhang, I think that's the word in English, no Swedish. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Confused today. We don't have, in our experience, we don't have a high priest. I am not a high priest. I am not the Pope. Some people have called me Pope Kyle. It's not true. Okay? I'm not a Pope. I'm married. I have lots of kids. Doesn't say that many Popes did as well. But no, I am not. I am just a pastor. I am just an elder of a little church. I cannot represent you before God. Now, I pray for you all. You all know that. That's my sacred duty. Is No one has ever prayed for you in your life as much as I pray for you. Because that's the sacred duty. And I don't say that in a casual, fluffy way. That is the sacred job and duty that God has given me. But I cannot make sacrifice for your sins. For your disobedience. I cannot secure for you a justified position before God. There's only one who's ever been able to do that. Our great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God. He did that for you. Beloved, understand that there is one who stands before the throne of God and your name is on his lips. He knows you and he represents you. God forbid that any of you will ever have to go to court. Okay, I've been in court a couple of times for unjust reasons. And it is a terrible experience. And I always, if you ever go to court, get a great lawyer. And the Lord blessed me and I was able to get a great lawyer. She was awesome. Fantastic lady. Scary and frightening, but great. You know, one of these socialist, diehard, unionist, atheist preachers. Or not preacher, but lawyer. And she did a fantastic job representing me before the, before the state. And I put all my confidence in her. And she represented me in a brilliant way. And I was delivered from all of the unjust um, accusations that were made against me. We have someone who represents us in the courtroom of heaven. He is our avocat. What's that in English? Lawyer. English is terrible today. He is our representative. And he has your name on his lips. He is not someone who is unknown to you. He's not just some sort of name. You're not some sort of name to him that is on a little list somewhere. He knows you as a person. Indeed, we might verily say he chose you as a person. And he chose to represent you. The Bible tells us that our high priest passed through the heavens. And I like that. In, in Hebrew theology, they never talked about heaven. 
you know, heaven and hell. For the Hebrews, it was heavens, all-encompassing, plural. They didn't think of heaven as just one place, like, like Jakobstad, you know, or Esse, or Benes, or wherever. For them, it was heavens, abundance, endless, continue, going on and on and on and on. Whether this means that he went through the sky or the atmospheres or whatever, he went through into eternity to the endless void of where God is. And there he stands as our champion, as the one who speaks on our behalf and represents us in a religious way and in a legal way. Legal, not illegal, a legal way. He is there on our behalf. And it says, the writer here says to his readers and to those who are hearing him, because we know that we have this high priest, this great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us therefore hold fast to our confession. Let's not give up. Because you know who Jesus is, because you know what he is doing, what he has done, what he has done in the act of giving sacrifice on your behalf. By what means or method did Jesus secure your salvation? Was it by the blood of bulls and goats? Was it by some meaningless token? An IOU here? Was it simply because with a wink and a nod, an arm, your handshake, some sort of backroom dealing, car boot sale transaction? No! He offered up his very blood. But even more than that, even more than that, and again, I guess this was from, I'm taking from my sermon for next week from 5 and 10, but we'll go into it. You won't know. Who cares? Um, Christ's sacrifice was more than just his death. It was his life. It was his sinless life. Spotless. He lived in such a way where he faced all the temptations, all the struggles, all the problems and internal pressures and external pressures that you and I faced. And yet never once did he stumble. Never once did he fumble. Never once did he fall into sin but he was able to maintain not and this is the great debate was Jesus able to sin or was he not able to sin never once did he stumble never once did he drop the ball always consciously always particularly carefully did he walk before God? Why? Not because of his own righteousness, not because he wanted to be good or please his Father, because he was doing it in order to purchase your salvation. See, his death by itself wasn't enough. It was the death of an absolute righteous man on behalf of an absolute unrighteous person. And therefore, this high priest who represents you and I in the courtroom of heaven, he who has gone through into eternity, this one, this man, this God-man, Jesus, his sinless life. And again, don't think of him as a robot. 
couldn't stand don't think of him as some you know mama's boy nice guy you know he's such a lovely person think of a a man battling with the powers of darkness you and I we have faced difficulties in our lives we have faced temptations and trials hardships we've done things that are not right we have faltered and failed countless times all of us have felt the, the, the power, the weight of fear, the fear of man, the fear of the consequences of our actions. And, and times we have, we have chosen the wrong path in order to appease people rather than to appease God. You and I sense and know the difficulties of that power. The power to do the not right thing. But yet, for all of us, all of us in our experiences, none of us know the temptations or the trials, the difficulties, the powers that Jesus faced on our behalf. All of our experience, all of our life wouldn't even fit in his back pocket. He went head to head, face to face against the devil himself. Now you and I, God willing, will never face the devil himself. Now, I, don't, I don't believe Christians face the devil. Thank God for that. Hallelujah, man. I don't want to meet that one. No. Leave that one to Christ. The Lord rebuke you. But Jesus faced him. Jesus faced him. Not for his own sins. But he did it for you and he did it for me. He put the devil in his place. In order that he might go forth and represent the people where Adam and Eve faltered and failed. They fell to the seductive power of suggestion from the serpent, who we know to be the devil of old. That archangel Lucifer who gave in to sin and pride and thought that one day he might exalt himself, be as good as God. And yet God cast them down. Jesus faced him and subdued him, overcame him, put him in his place, demonstrating that he is the true man. That he himself was able to overcome and to continue in a sinless life. Beloved, this is the one that we have who represents us. He's not some sort of emotionless terminator. You know, like Arnold Schwarzenegger in heaven. He's not that way. He's not some sort of mindless, emotionless robot. He was born a man and lived a man's life and faced the temptations and trials and hardships that you and I are familiar with to some extent. But unlike us, he overcame and succeeded in everything and honored God in all things. Never once did he stumble or sin. This is the one who represents us. It says there in verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize us, sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as are we are, but was without sin. Now the Bible say, cannot lie. Bible says that God cannot lie, and this is the word of God, and God cannot lie. It says here, not there in that, 
that we have a high priest, that we do not have a high priest, who cannot sympathize with us. It means to come alongside and to empathize, to feel what we are feeling, to be able to relate. Because you can say to me, Kyle, when you're an Irishman, I am, you don't really know what it feels like to be a Finn. You're right. You don't know, Kyle, you're loud. I am. I can't help it. I've tried not to be honest to goodness. It just comes out. Kyle, you're, you're fearless. That's not necessarily true. I, I more run at things and run away at things, but I feel fear. You don't know what it's like, Kyle, to be one of us. You don't know what it's like to have mums and dads and brothers and sisters and friends who think you're weird. I actually do, very much. And so you could maybe say, you know, Kyle, you, you can't really sympathize, get what I'm going through. But you can never say that about the Lord Jesus Christ. For he was tested, so the scriptures say, on every point in which you were tested or will be tested. In everything you'll ever go through, every trial, hardship, difficulty, everything that you will one day face or have faced or are facing, Jesus went through it first and to a greater extent than you. Think about that. And therefore he's able to say, I know exactly how you feel. Let me help you. He, is a, he knows exactly the way out of that circumstance. It says in verse 16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Because we know that we have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, who has gone into the heavens, who speaks on our behalf, who functions particularly, specifically for you and for me. Because we know who he is and what he's done and what he's doing, we can therefore come boldly, and I like that word, boldly, means with great courage to draw near to the idea is when the, the, the high priest went into the, the Holy of Holies, he drew close, drew near to the, the Ark of the Covenant. Or when the, the Levitical priests from uh, Leviticus chapter 9 verse 6, when they drew near to the altar to offer up sacrifices, they came close. The idea is when the, the fire of God was coming down. Or when the children of Israel, maybe in, in uh, Exodus 16, when God was upon the mountain and the mountain was on fire and Moses had gone up to the mountain and God commanded, may the people come near. And the idea is to come boldly, to be fearless, without hesitation, to proceed excitedly you and I may approach the throne of grace with excitement and boldness how many times I'm sure you're just like me you can sympathize with my weakness when you have faltered and failed and have not reached the level of your own spirituality or you've spoken out of turn you've been angry and said something or thrown something or done something and it's hurt somebody else. And you know you've sinned. You know you've done wrong. You've let somebody down. you let God down. You've faltered and you've failed. And you've made it worse. We all make it worse, you know. It's like throwing petrol on a fire and trying to put it out. <laughs> you know, just, if I keep putting petrol, one day it'll go out. 
That's the kind of nature that we have, default self-destruction. And we, we, we know that we have this, this great high priest who's able there to come and to help us, to set us free, to speak to us, to be able to comfort us, to be able to help us. We are able to come. If you're like me and you perhaps are embarrassed and reluctant to come to God, I feel again, oh dear Lord. Oh. And you feel somehow in some way God's looking at you going, tapping that foot. I knew. Sighing and totting and like rolling his eyes like at you as if to say, when are you going to grow up? When are you going to learn? And in your heart, your heart condemns you. And you're like, oh... And regret eats you up inside and you become angrier and annoyed and what all the rest. And instead of sometimes leading to repentance where you approach God and confess your sin and then go to the person that you've sinned against and confess to them and you reconcile, you bury it. Because somehow in some way you're ashamed to go to God to announce and to recognize and to repent of your sin. But if we only remembered that we are able because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, what he has done for you, that he, regardless of your sin against him, because we always remember, it wasn't just your sin against an ambiguous God, a shapeless, formless, void God. You actively sinned and sin and will sin against the Lord Jesus Christ. So he wasn't just doing it on your behalf for, towards a faceless, voidless God. Because he is God. All your sin was against him. And yet he still proceeded to come here, live a sinless life to an extent that was perfect. Not just good, perfect. And then died on your behalf in a perfect sacrifice, and the, the death that should be yours, the death that you have earned for yourself by your disobedience to the word of God in your rebellion. He died that death for you. And then came back, was resurrected, came back, showed himself, deposited eternal life, the Holy Spirit comes and activates us that we might be able to believe and we trust in Jesus and we live our lives for his glory. When we go through that situation, when we falter and we fall and we sin, verse 16 should ring in your ear. Not because you're good or great, not because, you know, like, oh Lord, I I know that you have to forgive me. (laughs) Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But because we know who we have representing us. How sympathetic the Lord Jesus Christ is. He knew all of your sin, all of your shortcomings, all of your faults and failings. He knew the extent of the wickedness of your character. And yet he chose in his mercy to forgive you and to restore you, to redeem you. Not just there, he could have left it there and we could have been servants, strangers, not part of his household or family. He didn't just stop there. He appointed you children in his house, brothers and sisters, co-heirs, family members. You're now family members together with him. 
You can't be so kind. Don't, don't talk nonsense. It's not nonsense. This is the man. This is the person. This is the high priest. That great high priest that we have representing us. That one who is able to come swiftly to our rescue. Therefore, let us come boldly. Let us come boldly. Oh, you ever see the little ones? I love the little ones when they come up to the front, you know, and it really kicks in and, and then, the, you know, they, they come boldly up to the front, you know. Dun, 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 dun. And there's no fear in them, you know, where they run at you and they throw themselves at you. And they, they know that they're going to get something good, especially when, when there's candy involved, you know, they're like, ah. And they're so confident in you. They come so boldly. They have no fear. You know, we, we, which one of our boys jumped off the kitchen table when he was little? Very good. Of course it was that one. Dun, 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 dun. You know, off the kitchen table when he was like this size, you know. No fear. Bold as bold can be. You and I are called to approach the throne of God in whatever trial, whatever circumstance, in whatever situation that we might face with boldness. Not because of who you are or what you've done. Not because of who I am. Because of Christ. Because of Jesus. Because of what he has done for you. He gave his blood for you. First of all, he lived for you. Let's remember that. He lived his life in such a way for you particularly. For me particularly. For you particularly. Well, not casually. Not like, well, you know, maybe if there's any leftover, I'll give you a little bit. For you, I live this way. And when he died and he offered up himself as a sacrifice, for you, I die this way. Now, do you think he's going to be careless with you? Do you think he's going to lose you? Do you think he's going to let you slip away after paying such a high price? After enduring such trials and temptations? After fighting the powers of darkness so masterfully, do you think in some way, somehow, now you're just going to slip away? You're just going to be like, oh, I'm a failure. I can't help myself. He has you. You do not hold on to him. He holds on to you. You're not a free agent, but you were purchased with his blood. Do you understand? He bought you. You're, you belong to him. Like you come to my house, you'll see my TV or my computer table or whatever else. Those, things. those are mine. I bought them. They belong to me. You can't come into my house and just take them. You know, you can ask nicely and I'll say no. But you know, they belong to me. You can't come into the house of Christ and just take the things that are his. The things that are his just can't turn around and say, well, you know, I no longer belong to you. Can you imagine a TV saying, I don't belong to you? doesn't happen that way. We are his possessions, bought with a price much greater than the price of the blood of bulls and goats, which can't take away sin. Oh, beloved, I would have you come boldly. I would have you come whenever there are difficulties and, and hardships and troubles or, or the nothing. Sometimes the nothings when nothing is happening, are more hard to bear than when there's difficulties. We must understand that 
We are commanded, exhorted, uh, encouraged. Come on! To be bold. Are you bold? In your relationship to God. Not that I'm saying be like Kyle and his enthusiasm and his extrovert. That's not what bold means. Having confidence. We all have that experience of small children. And when a small child wants something from their parent, they're not shy. When you have something that a small child wants and they're familiar with you. Mommy, 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 daddy. And then I say no and then they go to mommy. Mommy, mommy, mommy. And they, they, they're, they're not afraid in asking. You can say no, 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 but just, there's this repetition. They're not afraid to ask, especially when they have confidence in the one that they're coming to. Your child or you see some child, our child falls down off his bicycle. He doesn't run to the neighbor's house to be comforted. He doesn't go to the stranger down the street. If a stranger should stop and try and pick him up, they're going to cry even more. <laughs> stranger! They're not going to be comforted. They long for the comfort of the parent or for the that one who they love. Beloved, you and I must flee to Christ. Let us boldly come to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy. Mercy. And find grace and help in time of need. Why do we pray for one another? We had a time of prayer this evening. Why do we pray for one another? Why do we lift up our voices? Is it because we're religious? No. Because we, we believe in the God who is true and real and living and active. Who answers prayers in ways we don't understand. He's involved in our lives. He's not far away. And we have to go, hello! And try and get his attention. He's here now with us, watching over us. Just like any good parent watches over their child. We have a secure relationship with him. Not because of your best intentions or your actions or your deeds. God doesn't love you because you read your Bible regularly. God doesn't hate you because you don't read your Bible regularly. Although, please read your Bible regularly. It's the voice, the words of God. God doesn't love you because you pray five hours a day. Doesn't love you because you fast three, four weeks at a time. Whatever you do. Doesn't hate you. He's not dissatisfied with you when you don't pray. I'm sure it hurts his heart because like if your child or your, your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your loved one didn't speak to you and just sat there all day on their phone or on their screen or in a book or whatever they did and they just ignored you and you tried to talk to them and you tried to communicate to them, you tried to get their attention and do something funny and they just give you the cold shoulder. Oh, oh, how much would that hurt? This one whom you love, you've done everything for, you, you do everything for, you live for this person, and they just have no time for you. Oh, I'm very sure that God feels that pain. But does he hate you? No. No, no, no. He, he's there waiting. He's there imploring. He's there pleading. 
for your attention, calling you, commanding you, exhorting you, come, come, let's spend time together. Let me lavish out my love upon you that you might receive mercy and grace in the time of need. Beloved, I would have us be bold. Bold as believers, bold as a church, bold as a lion. In the knowledge of our God, in the face of whatever hardship, trial, challenge, difficulty that might face us, whether it be the oncoming church building project, or there's a mountain that we have to say, get you pulled up and thrown into the sea. Whatever it might be, whatever in our personal lives, with our character, or in our relationship, relationships with one another, let us boldly come before the throne of grace and, and beseech God, cry out to him, speak to him, ask him for help, because we are sure to obtain it. And that's perhaps the last thing I want to say. We will obtain help. Did you notice that in the text? That we may obtain. That word may is misleading in the English Bible. It says, we, 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 we kind of take it as you may be, you might be able to. It's available perhaps. You flip the coin. Oh, sorry. The idea is that, it, it, that we will obtain help. That it is available for us if we only ask, if we only beseech, if we only come boldly to the throne. What did Jesus teach the disciples? Seek and you shall find. Ask and you shall receive. Boltar. I like that word. It's much better in Swedish than it is in English. Boltar. Bang on the door and the door shall be opened unto you. We are commanded to pray and to seek, but not again because of who we are. Everything is based upon our great high priest and his work and who he is on our behalf. Let us always remember that when we come before God, we don't come dressed in the rags of our own lives and our own works, our own filthy, disgusting, dirty diapers. We've all changed dirty diapers or smelt dirty diapers. You know, the Bible says that our righteous deeds are like dirty diapers before the Lord. I know it's... Very icky, disgusting te- uh, example. But oftentimes we think that if we are just good enough somehow, in some way, God will bless us a little bit more. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be worthy enough. You must understand that we come clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We come clothed in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. We live boldly in the knowledge of what he has done and is doing and will do for us. That he is not unsympathetic. He's not some cold heartless beast who resents us because we caused his crucifixion. He doesn't look upon us and think, oh, when are you going to grow up and learn? He knew before the foundation of the earth you. He knew you. He knew your conception. He knew the day of your birth. In every day of your life, he knew every sin that you will be open to. He knew every failure. He knew the extent of your sin. You and I, we can only see a fraction. We can only see a little, a little 1% of the 100% of our sin. It's like that iceberg. You know icebergs? There's the point that sticks out of, this, out of the water. And then this 
concealed mass under the water. You and I only see a little small percentage of the sin. And indeed many of the things that you and I consider sins aren't sins. Many of the things that you and I consider not to be sins are sins. Jesus Christ knew everything about you and yet still accepted you. Except decided to pour out his mercy on you. It is by mercy. It is by grace. Beloved, let us therefore be bold. I would have you bold. You know my heart for you. I want you to be so thoroughly confident in what Jesus has done for you. So thoroughly confident in what he's doing for you. And he will never stop speaking on your behalf. You'll never disappoint him. Isn't that great? I'm a very disappointing man. You know? My poor wife who's had to endure me for 20 something years. And I was, and I, you know, I think, Lord, by this time, I'm 30 years on the path. 30 something years on the path. By this time, Lord, I should have leveled up a little bit. I should have come better somehow in some way. I should be more efficient, more proficient in my prayers. You know, lightning should come out of my hands or something, Lord. Should be some kind of. Nah, it is by grace. Despite all of my weakness and failings, He still loves me. And I, being more conscious of the depth of my sin, 30 years or something on the path, I now realize how much I owe Him, how much I am in debt, how much I am dependent upon His grace. And that gives birth in me a great love. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you haven't given up on me. Thank you, Lord, that you're not going to give up on me. Oh, God, help me not to to fade. The older I get, the the weaker I get. Lord, help me not to to, to fumble and develop a, a heart that's evil in its unbelief. Please, Lord. The vaccine against an evil, wicked heart, a heart of unbelief that chooses to do its own thing, and not to honor God. What's, what's the cure? Jesus Christ. The knowledge of what he's done. Of what he's doing. Of what he's going to do. When you ponder and consider and, and hold on to. And live in the reality of it. Lord you'll, you'll never cast me off. You'll never put me away. Lord wow. 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 Then we are able to be bold in our faith. When we know our God, we're able to be bold and do great things. We're able to be obedient. We're fearless in the face of men. What can man do to me? You ever wondered in the olden days and Reformation times and in other countries in the world where persecution is still going on, how did those people be so brave? How did those people go to the cross or to the, the fire and not scream and shout and cry and 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 you know i'm sure many of them did i i don't want to speak in generalizations but there are so many witnesses testimonies so many accounts of of men and women who have given themselves up to the flames to the fires and they have not surrendered they have gone boldly into the flames think of the apostle paul not paul peter who we are told by church history, when he was finally martyred, he found it so 
irreverent that he would be crucified in a normal cross. He asked that they would turn him upside down. History tells us that the Apostle Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't consider himself worthy enough to suffer as Jesus had suffered. There wasn't that, no boys, let's not do that. How about letting me go free? (laughs) I promise I'll not preach again. Well, if you're going to do it, let's do it right. I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. Let's make it worse. Hang me upside down. How did these heroes of our faith endure? Because they were conscious, because they were in connection to their great high priest. The one who had lived a perfect life as a sacrifice, as as an offering unto God. Who then gave themselves as a sacrifice on the behalf of you and me. Let's not say of others. You and me. He died for you and me. Why? In order that we might have this boldness, this access, this liberty to come into his presence. Oh, beloved We have a high priest who is sympathetic to our problems. He understands. He's not this unfeeling robot. He's not one of those man grace who doesn't understand what you're talking about. Oh, beloved. Rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be comforted in him. Do not give up. Remember, verse 14, let's hold fast. Let's keep on holding. Let's continue. The word confession also means profession or proclamation or agreement. That which we have agreed upon, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is my sacrifice. He is my Savior. He is my Lord, my Christ. I am his and his alone. Let us hold fast. Let's hold on. As Christ holds on us, let us hold on to him. Let's not give up nor give in. Let's not dim our faith. Let's not be like the people of this world who under pressure and temptation and trials give up and give in and go back to the world. But rather in the face of temptation, hardship, trials, Let us go on with Christ. Let us receive grace and mercy and let him be glorified. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you for the great gift that is life through through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We are so grateful that we have one who represents us, who knows us personally and knows everything about us, has our entire case file before him. Lord, from our beginning until our end, he knows all things about us, our successes and our failures, and yet does not reject us, does not mock us or leave us, is faithful and represents us, pours out his mercy and his grace on our behalf and gives us position and uh, benefits. Lord, we thank you that we're not just servants, but we are sons and daughters of the living God. Oh, Lord, please, please open up our minds. Please open up our understandings that we might see the depth of the love that you have for us. 
to see the depth of the commitment that you, you exercise upon us. Lord, and help us to change our ways. Lord, not to behave like the world. Lord, not to behave like the atheists, the fools of this place. Not like the, the idolaters, Lord, who worship themselves or, or false Christs. Please, Lord, help us to walk faithfully with you. To demonstrate that love that we have for you by loving one another. By caring for one another. By pouring out our lives for one another. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would enable us and help us and encourage us to be bold in however that may look, Lord. Not necessarily in loudness and and extrovertness, Lord, but with confidence, with security, with a steadfast resolve, not based upon our efforts or our merits, but upon the work of Jesus Christ, that which he has done, that which he is doing, that which he will do on our behalf. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you know what it's like to be a human. You know what it's like to be, Lord, a a child. You know what it's like to be someone's brother. Lord, you know what it's like to be a part of a family. You know what it's like to be part of a community. You know what it's like to, to... Feel the pressures pulling this way and that. But we thank you that you never give in to sin. Lord, you stood head and shoulders above it. Lord, you made it. Lord, you mastered it. Defeated it. Lord, I pray, Lord God, that you would help us. Lord, that we would be bold in our relationship with you. Lord, not overstepping and becoming fickle or frail not as those that you said will one day come and say lord lord but those who walk according to your ways and keep your commandments that we might bring glory to your name that we might find mercy and grace in the time of need lord we ask this for your glory and your glory alone in jesus precious name amen amen